around the first year, early end of the year, we, we hear messages from our leaders telling us what the state of the state is and what the state of our nation is. I thought it'd be interesting to take just a couple minutes and see how you see the state of the area that you have influence in. How do you see it? What's happening? I know for Joyce and I, <laughs> we got a lot of negative things happening that are bringing positive results. And, and it seems like to me, um, God has a way of, of taking things that the enemy is wanting to try to just unload on us and, and, and wipe us out, and God uses those to build us up. How is it with you? I know you're not used to speaking out, but you can. I know you can because I hear you out there in the hall. Come on. The Lord wants to know what the state is of your influence, where your, where your sphere of influence is. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you sense is happening out there? The first one will get the biggest prize. Okay, any others? Have you turned on the TV and watched news lately? <laughs> Do you have a sense that, that God is exposing all of that stuff we've been praying about? I have a sense that God is in control more than he has been, not that he was out of control, but we're letting him have control more than we ever have for a long time. And I'm excited about where we are, what I see happening, where I think we're going to go. I know we could talk about a whole bunch of negative things that have been happening. I realize that. But we as humans, or at least I do, I have a tendency to look at those and see the negative part. But God sees that as an opportunity. He sees that as a challenge. And when somebody's down to the bottom of where, you know, the bucket, the only place that goes up, and that's a time where they're, they're calling out. That's a time where we can have some influence. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I, I would just say to you, keep your ear to the ground. Look at what's, listen, look, see what's happening in your sphere of influence. And don't be afraid to give God glory and let God do what he wants to do with it. I would, just, I would just say to you, don't give your opinion. Let Scripture take care of itself and lay it out there. Next time, if I ever get, have another opportunity to speak to you, I'm going to ask you the same question. And you're going to tell me all the stuff that's happening, right? Um, you remember back in, in, in Luke, they were talking about all the things that were going to, going to happen, all the things that were going on. And, and, and we're reminded when we see all that happening to do what? 
Look up. Why? Our redemption's drawing near. Our redemption's drawing near. It's closer today than it's ever been. But I mean, it's really closer today than it's ever been. And, and, and this, is, this is our time. Well, as you know, I hate to be redundant, but I, I, as I'm reading through the Bible, I want to start clear back to Genesis tonight again. And I want to go to Genesis 2. The first chapter is about the creation and, and all of those things. And in chapter 2 it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. God took six days and spoke everything that you and I touch, smell, feel into existence by his word. And every time that I look into the biology of plants at home or livestock or whatever, I am totally amazed when he spoke that sheep into being what he really said. All the intricate systems within that sheep that make it what we know it as today. Think about yourself. Think of all the things that are working together in you right now because God did what? Took that clay formed it, made us in his image, and put breath in us, and now here we are. We're his people, and we have the opportunity to make a difference in the sphere we're in. So let's go to chapter 2 of Genesis. The heavens and the earth and the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day, God rested. His, from his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God wants to emphasize something, he repeats it. Okay? We'll just let that stand right there. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from his work which God had created and made. Now when he says it three times, he wants it to get in us. And, and as, as, we, as we look at that, basically, think back to what he did. He said it was all finished and, and the earth was ready to be inhabited. So, you know, he formed all the, the heavens. He formed the earth. He, he placed the herbs, the trees there, the animals there, and man there. And he told the, the plants, he said, go produce according to your kind. Did you ever see an apple tree produce peaches? Why not? Because God's word says it's to, to do what? To produce peaches. And it's still following that word all this time. Still following what I gave him. To animals and man, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So he made a limited amount, and he said, you have, a, you have a job. It's your job to be fruitful and multiply. And I would say to us, in this day and age, it's still our job to be fruitful and multiply. Not just numbers, but his kingdom and what we're about. So think about it. All the food was provided to sustain life. Man was to be in control, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. 
So he placed man in charge. Now, that's a little scary to me because I've seen people that were in charge of land or in charge of businesses that didn't do a good job. And I've seen others who did a good job. But God placed us in a place of having dominion. And again, your sphere of influence, he placed you there for what reason? So that he and his word and you will have dominion in that area. So be prepared. That's what he's wanting from us in the last time. So, but even though God's creation was finished, his sustaining provision, his relationship with mankind was, was to be continued. So he established, and, and then as we read on through Genesis, we know that he established a nation through Abraham. And we're, you know, I, I want to I take you back a ways, so let me just, you know, paraphrase some of this. And as he took Abraham and blessed him and said that all the people of the earth will be blessed by him, his grandson's name was Jacob. And God changed his name and called him what? Israel. And through Israel, we get 12 tribes, the Jewish people as we know today. And God had all that plan and all that going but God was looking ahead. And some 30-some years after Joseph was born, there was going to be what in the earth? A famine. So what did God do? God's working behind the scenes. And I think, you know, if the take-home message to me is, you may not see what God's doing, but God's working behind the scene for you and for me and for his kingdom. So you remember Joseph... He was a little braggadocious. And yes, God gave him indication of what he was going to be doing, but he liked to tell everybody about it. If God shares something with you about, about you, don't go tell everybody. Just let him work it out. He'll do it. So Joseph, was, his, his brothers took him. <laughs> they threw him in a pit, and eventually he was sold as a slave, and he went to Egypt. As he went to Egypt... He was a slave who became a prisoner. Remember that? Unjustly so, but he became a prisoner. Now, if you think about that a minute, the person he was a slave to had some power and some influence and had a sphere, but he didn't have near the sphere of where God wanted Joseph to be, so he put him in a pit. You ever feel like God had you in a pit? <laughs> Some of you might still be there, it sounds like. Um, God put him in a pit, in a dungeon, and in that, remember, Pharaoh had a dream. Remember what the dream was? Seven lean cows followed seven real, fat, healthy cows. And God gave Joseph... The interpretation being that there's going to be seven years of lots of food production. I don't know if you can imagine it or not, but seven years of no food production. Now, if you and I have seven hours of no food production, we're in trouble in this day and age. Think, think if we could shut down the highway for seven days, seven days, what would happen? 
Most of us would have nothing to eat, would we? And so, you know, think about how God is sustaining what he spoke into being. And so, Joseph sold, he becomes a slave, he becomes a prisoner. Pharaoh has the dreams. With those seven plentiful years, followed by seven years of famine, he gives Joseph the understanding of what needs to be done. And I would say, why did that all happen? Because there was also going to be a famine where? In the land of milk and honey. Who lives there right now while Joseph is a slave? His dad, right? And all of his brothers. And they're there and they're going to be without food. Where are they going to get food? In Egypt. God's working behind the scene, making all this happen. And without getting into all those details, if you haven't read that lately, you might want to. But for the next 430 years, Jacob and his family were given the, the best, the most productive land in Egypt. Now think about that. I don't want to get into immigration issues, but that was an immigration issue to some people. And we know nothing about what, what they thought at that first time. But here are all these people coming in the land of Goshen, taking over the best land. They were the ones that took care of the livestock. But all that time, they were prospered and multiplied in number. 430 years they were there. And I was telling Brian, I have a, a hillbilly um, concern sometimes of what was going on. Have you ever thought about for 430 years how they're living in the land where there's all of these idols where there's at least 10 gods that, that, that these people worship. Have you ever wondered what happened to the Israelite people, to God's people in that time, and what their religion was like, what they were doing? I know, you probably haven't, but I do. You know, and those details are kind of left for us to imagine. But one, a couple things we know, Jacob had him promised that they would take his body back to the land and, and that they would bury him with his wife back there. And they did that while Joseph was still alive. And then Joseph said, when you go back, I want you to take my bones back to that land. And we learn later that they did this. So what's the life lesson here? God's people were being blessed in Egypt, which is the world. But where was their focus all that time, the best we can tell? It was on the land of milk and honey, wasn't it? Because the leaders in those first years said, you're going to go back there, and I want you to take my body back. And Joseph said, I want you to take my bones back. When you go back, it'll be some time, but when you go back, I want you to take them. And so here we have God's people looking ahead to this land flowing with milk and honey because God had given that covenant promise to them. And I want to go then to uh, Exodus Exodus 1. Let's go. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that most of you understand all that story up to that point well enough that um, I'm not going to snow you there. And uh, as we get in then to, to Exodus, let's take a look at, at what's going on. 
Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. And of course they're Jacob and his sons, and, and we won't go through all of that. But I want to get down to verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, and it was a king who did not know Joseph. Now, we have had change of kings, change of presidents in this country once in a while, haven't we? You may have change of leadership in your sphere. And sometimes we can look back on that, look at that, and think, that's, this is not good. And that's kind of how this is indicated. He didn't know Joseph, and he said to the people, look. He said to his people, look. The people of the children of Israel are what? They're more, and they're mightier than we. Sounds like it must be election time. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they continue to multiply, and it happen in the event of war, that they also join the enemies and fight against us, so that we go, so that we go up out of the land. Therefore the taskmasters over them, they put them there to afflict them and their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities. Names a couple of those. But the more they afflicted them, what happened? The more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. Even though they were putting the pressure on the children of Israel, those Egyptians still feared the children of Israel. Now, there's a spiritual battle going on, but we got a spiritual battle in this nation, don't we? And you can sense that as you, as you see. <laughs> it's pretty easy sometimes to tell which side some people are on. And, and I would just say to you, you know, God's working behind the scenes, but let's make sure that we're doing the part that we need to do. And so the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and they grew. Now in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, let's go over to verse 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, why did she hid him? Why did she hide him? She didn't hit him. She, hide, she hid him. Why did she do that? Because... Pharaoh had said what? If they're males, kill them. Now, does that sound familiar in this day and age? Don't have to be a male to get killed in this day and age, do you? You just have to be a child, unwanted child. And so, in the midst of all that, we know how mother... I'm sure was given this idea of making this, this little ark that she placed her son in, put him out in the bulrushes, and who comes by but Pharaoh's daughter. It's probably a daughter of one of the concubines. It really doesn't matter because she's never told, we're never told who she was, but she, she took a liking to this baby that was crying in this little ark. And what did she do? She said she wanted to keep that baby. Now... I don't know whether dad knew it or not. And I guess it really doesn't matter because God knew it, didn't he? And what else did God have done? He had that baby raised by who? 
its own mother. Think about that. God's working behind the scenes. He was raised by his own mother. And, you know, as you think about that, not only did his mother raise him, but look at verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I'm going to pay you to do it. That's almost the blessing of God, isn't it? So here we have oppressed people, and in the midst of that, God's blessing his people and what he has planned, working behind the scenes. Now, we know then that as he grew up, we're not given many details, but he had a brother also. What was his name? What happened to him? He wasn't thrown in the river, was he? And I don't know how it happened, but God was working behind the scene because Moses needed who? He needed Aaron. And so we know that Moses grew up. We know that he had a, a struggle with a, an Egyptian, killed the Egyptian. And we also know that when he saw two Hebrews struggling, that the word got out that he'd killed the others. And then what did he do? He took off and fled. Now, when trouble comes our way, how we react to it is really important. And he decided to flee. And I want to say to you, well, let's just go to verse 21. Because it says it better than I can. Verse 21. Um, I get the right one here. Then Moses was what? Content. Now, I think Moses had a sense as he saw the children of, of uh, Israel being put under pressure and, and, and uh, having to do more. He had a sense of what his mission, I think, was. But he fled, and for the best we can tell, about 20 years he did what? <laughs> he hid out in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. Well, that had been a glorious experience. And, and while he's out there, he's very content with what he's doing. He's, he, he marries, he has two children, and life's really pretty good. Have you ever had a stretch where your life was pretty good? And then in the midst of that, <laughs> somebody sets a fire. And we know about the burning bush, and, and as I understand although I've never experienced this, that those bushes actually would, there would be combustion just spontaneously come out of some of those bushes. It was so hot in that desert. But if that happened, what happened to the bush? It would burn, and it'd be just ashes. And this time, the bush is on fire, but what's happening? The bush is not consumed. So, this content sheep herder went over to check it out. And all of a sudden, God speaks to him and says what? You need to get your boots off, man. You're on holy ground. So here's Moses, who I sense had a call all along, hiding with the sheep. And then in the, and then the process of that, God got there. And 
Moses' life changes. Up to this point, for 20-some years, 20 years or so, he's been doing what he was able to do himself. And all of a sudden, God says what? I got something for you to do that you can't do. You ever had that? <laughs> you ever looked at the situation and said, no, I can't do this. This ain't going to work. I cannot do this. So what did you do? I hope you didn't do what Moses did. You know what he did? He complained. He got to complaining. And he told God what? Hey, I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. And, and you really just need to get somebody else. And so it, it came down to the point that he was putting his finger on Moses to do something he couldn't do. He wanted him to lead God's people. And he wanted to lead 600,000 men and their families. I can't even comprehend. I can't comprehend leading 10 men and their families. And there's 600,000. And he wants them to lead him out and take them to the promised land. And... Let's go to uh, verse, or chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before or since. In other words, I've been like this all along, God. You know it. I can't speak. I can't, you know, I've got a heavy tongue. I can't speak. Some thinks he stuttered. But anyway, he says, I can't do that. Neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech, I am slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, and the Lord says to us, if he's given us an impossible task, he's saying what? It's possible through me. He said, who made your tongue? Now that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Who made your tongue? Who, who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what to say. So Moses took it right off, right? Just like we are. What did he do? Uh, he said, oh, my Lord. Now, thankfully, he called him Lord. Now, when he did that, he gave him permission. He said, you're, you're my Lord, so I'm giving you permission. When when we take God as our Lord, we're giving him permission to be a part of our life. And he just gave him permission. He said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron, the Levite, your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, <laughs> he just happens to be coming over the hill. Is God working behind the scene or not? Aaron lives where? Lives where? In Egypt. And we're clear down in Midian. A few days away, and here he comes. I know that he can speak. And when he sees you, he'll be glad. He will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth 
and with his mouth, and I will teach you what to say. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, Moses, what to say, and you're going to teach Aaron. When God puts us in a circle of people, and he gives us something to say, he's going to help us teach them what they need to say. And we see that happening. We see that stirring within God's people now. Verse um, 16, so he shall be your, spoke, be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth to, for you, and you shall be to him as God. Moses will be as a God <laughs> to Aaron, and God will be Moses' Lord. Verse 18 I really wasn't going to go there, but Moses did the right thing. He, went, he didn't take right off because God gave him something to do. He went back, talked to his father-in-law, got permission to leave. And his father-in-law said, what? Go in peace. Now, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of peace in him at that point, but he told him to go. He said, go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. <laughs> Evidently, he told his father-in-law why he was there. He said, those guys are gone. You don't need to worry about them. It's all been taken care of. Moses took his wife and his sons and sent them how? On a donkey. Does that sound familiar? Sent them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But if I, and I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. We got, a, we got a big case of spiritual warfare going on. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. God made Pharaoh a promise before anything was happening there. And he made that promise to him. And God keeps his promise, doesn't he? Now, we got another problem. We got Aaron, who's gone and gotten Moses, and they're coming back home. And in coming home, they're going to meet with 600,000 families. And they're going to convince them that they need to take off and go to the promised land. Now, I don't know who in here might be willing to do that. But if you come in here and try to convince this group that we're going to go someplace, you probably got a, got a tough job on your hand, don't you? And he had a tough job on his hands. And, and, you know, and if you haven't read that recently, you may want to, to take a look at that. But... And um, I don't know where we need to start. Let's go to um, 29. Well, 28. So Moses took Aaron, all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And guess what? 
with God's favor, the people believed. When they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and, he had, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshipped. It's going to be an easy job, right? We got all these people convinced because of the signs and wonders and they're ready to go and they believe. Now, if you look at that word believe, you know, it, it, is, it is true belief in their heart. They believed that God had sent him, and, and this is what was going to happen. Verse, five, or verse 1 of chapter 5, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in, they told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. <laughs> now, Pastor, this might have fit in your sermon this morning. Pharaoh said what? Who's the Lord? What are you talking about? And I'm sure you all realize that not everybody understands who the Lord is. And some ladies this week exposed themselves and proved that they didn't know who the Lord was. And he says, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews had met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So, as Pharaoh thought about that, what was his response? The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest. No. And Pharaoh said, look, the people are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Now, that particular word is the same word that was used back in, in Genesis when it's talking about God resting. So I, I think... What we're seeing here is that for they still were holding a Sabbath after 430 years. And he said, we've given you that one day, and guess what? We're taking away from you. So the same day, Pharaoh, same day, Pharaoh commanded taskmasters of the people and the officers saying, you shall no longer give this people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go, gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they had made before. So he's making it tough on them and this this is easy to say but it's hard to live through but it seems to me before any situation where we have a, a great conflict and we have a battle of of God and the enemy nearly always we get into a situation where there's a a time where we th things get tougher before they get better you ever been there Things get tougher, and if they're getting tougher, it's a pretty good sign that God's getting involved, and you want to keep, keep real close to him. And let's go to verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? Now we got Moses complaining, right? He said, I went... I did what you told me, 
And now these people are really getting, getting, the, getting the put to them. They've got taskmasters. They've lost their Sabbath. Things are not good. Why did you do this? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. That's a pretty strong statement. You want to watch what you say to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the Lord's response. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. So all of a sudden, it's like Pharaoh's giving him a promise. And I'm sure he's taking heart. The only problem is, you and I, or at least me, when I get that promise, I want it to happen now, right? And it's not going to happen now, as, as you know the story. And God spoke to Moses in verse 2, and he said to him, I'm the Lord. He said, I know, yeah, I know. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Very interesting statement there, but basically saying, I appeared to them, but they didn't know him, not like you know me. And even though those are the patriarchs, you know, and thank God you and I have the Spirit of God, so we can know him and he can know us. Without getting into that, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, you and I have God's word right here, right? And he says the words to us, and here's what he told them. I'm the Lord. I'm in charge. I'm going to make this happen. I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I'll be your God. And then he makes a real interesting statement. Sometimes God needs to do things for us and in our midst so that we can also realize this last statement, and that was what? Then you shall know, you shall know. That's talking about a very intimate relationship. And he says, you know, God said, said that when, uh, when they were coming to him, remember he said to the one group, I don't know you. Remember that? But he's saying to his people, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give, you to, Ab swore to, give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'll give it to you as heritage. I am the Lord. He starts out with I am the Lord. He ends with I am the Lord. When, God, and when we hear God's word and have it preached to us or we read it, if we're not careful, we'll react just as they did in verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But what happened? They didn't heed the word of God. It says they didn't heed Moses, but it wasn't Moses that was speaking. It was who? It was God's word. And they didn't heed God's word. Why didn't they do that? Because of the anguish of spirit of heart and cruel bondage. 
What they felt and saw was stronger than what God's word says. Now that probably would preach if we thought about it just a minute, wouldn't it? Because if we're not careful, we'll be tempted the very same way. We'll look at the situation and say, God, I don't, I don't see any way out. I don't think you can handle this. Don't think you're going to be able to do this. And he's saying all along what? I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will. I am the Lord. And they say, yeah, but. And as you go on through that, I think all of us are pretty, pretty familiar, or most of you, but are pretty familiar with what happened with the, all of the plagues that needed to, to come. And those plagues were basically a direct confrontation with the gods of Egypt, each one of them, without getting into all of that. I want to go over to chapter 8. This is the second plague. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite all the territory with frogs. What's he going to smite? All the territory. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up. All right, you ready for this now? You're going to sleep with frogs tonight. They're going to come into your house. And he just happens to mention they're going to be in your bedroom. Now, I've never laid down with a frog, but I can't imagine that being very comfortable. That cold, slimy body. They're going to be in your bed, in the house of your servants, on your people. And guess what? When you go to stoke the fire in the morning to cook the cereal, guess where they're going to be? In your oven. Oh, boy. They're going to be in your kneading bowls. You know what that is? That's where you make the flour in the bread. They're going to be in those bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, do what? Stretch out the rod. And what happened? Whew, here they come. And let's go to verse 8. So now, <laughs> well, let's go to verse 7. I think sometimes the enemy is just plain stupid. But anyway, and the magicians did so with their enchantments. And what did they do? They brought up a double portion. We already have all these frogs everywhere. Now the magicians brought up theirs. It's got to have been exciting. You better like frog legs. And then the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. He said, entreat the Lord, or if you will, talk to the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I'll, then I'll let your people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this, this next verse really intrigues me. And I remember years and years and years ago, yeah, I can remember back that far sometimes. And I was listening to a sermon, and we, we, at that point we had um, gotten out of the, 
um, boys' home business, but we had a boy with us that night, one of them who had been there came back to visit us, and he went to church with us, and they listened to this sermon. And Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when should I intercede for you? You want me to intercede that the frogs will leave. When do you want that to happen? Now, what's he going to say? Yesterday, right? I mean, get him out of here, right? Well, what did he say? Intercede for you, for your servants, for your people. Destroy the frogs from you and your home that they may remain in the river only. So he said, oh, let's wait one more night. We'll do it tomorrow. This man's unique. And Moses said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And so the next day he prayed and what happened? They went back. But the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyard, and they gathered them together and heaped. And the land did what? I'll bet it did stink. I'll bet it did. And then, I want to go over one more. That's, you know, as you think about what all is going on there, and as you think about every time that God took away the plague, the heart was hardened and more plagues were necessary. Let's go over to chapter 9, verse 14. For at this time, and, and well, 13, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your heart and on your servants and your people that you may know that there is none like me in all of the earth. God's speaking to the enemy's gods, and he's saying what? I'm it. And every one of your gods are going to go down. There's no one, no one like me in all the earth. And then verse uh, 15, Now if I have stretched out my hand, struck you and your people with pestilence, then you will have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up. God has a purpose in all that happens in our lives. And he's, he's telling Pharaoh, he says, this is my purpose for you, that I might show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. And yet, verse 17, I'm, I'm trying to show you how, in 16, how I'm God, how I'm Lord, and yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. And he says, tomorrow about this time, there's going to be heavy hail. As far as we know, that was the first, maybe the last hail that ever landed in Egypt. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, as you, as you think about these things, God's purpose, he said, that you may know. And then in verse, let's go to chapter 13, verse 3. So just kind of hang on here. I want to move a little fast. And Moses said to the people, remember this day. Now, now at this time, we're, we're at a point where we're at the Passover. And the things that God is doing, he's doing so that we will remember. 
And, and you and I would do well to remember the things that God's taken us from. And we were having a conversation with someone, and in that process, we were saying, do you remember such and such? Well, just barely. Well, that was a great deliverance for them, and they shouldn't have been just barely remembering it, you know. And so God wants us to remember what he does for us. Situations occur so that we will know, so that we, you know, we'll see what's going on. Down in verse 17, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. God did not lead them, by the way, of the Philistines. Now, if you, if you look at a map, that's up along the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and it's a very um, flat, uh, very productive area. Why didn't he take them that way? That makes the most sense. It was the closest route to get to Israel, to get to the Promised Land. Why didn't he do that? God has a purpose for all that he does. God did not lead them that way to the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, here's the reason he didn't lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So when times get tough, what do they want to do? Want to turn back. You ever been there? This isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. I'm backing off. Yeah, it is worth it. They were headed for the land of milk and honey. And it, it was worth it. But, he, but God knew them. So what did he do? He led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And here we go. Moses took the bones of who? Joseph, because they promised that they'd do that. Let's go over to... Uh, 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and night a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God's presence obviously is going with them, and they can see it. Now, they don't have the Spirit of God. We can be tough on them, but they don't have what you and I have. And then verse 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihathroth, between Midgal and, and the sea. And you shall camp before it by the sea. I remember when I first read this, we'd, I'd just been uh, saved and filled with the Spirit not very long. And we went to, Joyce and I went to the pastor and we was talking to him about this. And he, he made this real clear how they did this. Okay, so let's read on. And Pharaoh said, The children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness is closed in on them. And I will harden their, Pharaoh's heart so that they will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army. Over how much of his army? All of the army. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Now you'd think by this time they'd be getting a hint, right? They've lost their, their firstborn son. They've, they've been through all these ten plagues. Now it was told the king of Egypt and the people that they had fled and his heart, heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people and they said, why have we done this? We've let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready the, his chariot and took the people with him and he also took how many? 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. He, he took all the brass, okay? 
And the, land, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king, and he pursued the children of Israel. So the children of Israel are, are getting to a campsite, how? Walking, okay? Youngsters, pregnant moms, probably the whole bit, and they're walking. Pharaoh's got his choice chariots, and guess what? Verse 10, Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel, and he lifted his eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they, were, so they, being Israel, was afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, I thought that was pretty neat. All, you know, later, we're going to see they cried to who? To Moses. But this time, they're crying to the Lord. Or did they? Then, Mo, then they said to Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? You look behind us and see there's 600 chariots. And all the captains in their chariots and all their horses, and they're all behind us. And we're up against the sea. And it's a deep sea. Now, I mentioned our pastor. He said that really isn't the Red Sea, what it really was. And he, and he found this in the cemetery when he went to get his doctor's degree so he'd be able to preach up to us. He said it's a Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is real shallow. And they walked across it. Well... I wish I'd have known what I know now, but I didn't. Um, uh, is, it, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Is it easier to live in the world or live for God? That's the question, isn't it? And they said what? We'd, we'd rather live in the world. Would you really? I was talking to somebody, we were talking about healing, talking to a pastor, and he said, Daryl, don't you know that some people don't want to get healed? And I said, what? He said, there's people that don't want to get healed. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he pointed out someone, he says, they don't want to get healed. You know why? They got a workman's compensation claim. Okay, I hope you get paid well. And said, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to, that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, <laughs> you may be Moses to those around you. And here's what he said. Moses knew what God had said. He knew the promises of God. You and I know the Bible. We know the promises of God. He said, do not be afraid. Stand still. Now I got a feeling they were prancing by this time. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he has accomplished for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. This is the part I needed to read to that pastor. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, I'm not exactly sure how to paraphrase that, but I think what he said was, shut up. Don't say what you're thinking. Trust God. I think that's how you paraphrase that. Hold your peace. Be careful what you say. Have you ever gone to pray for someone, and they want to tell you how bad 
the situation is, and God probably can't do anything, what they're saying. And he probably won't if you don't expect him to. He said, the Lord will fight for you. Hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide. And the children of Israel shall go on dry through the midst of the sea. I've got a word inserted there, dry ground. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow. Now, see, I need to tell my pastor it was dry ground, but he thought it was just a swamp. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his armies and over his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, that I've gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see how God repeats when he wants us to hear? And how many times has he told us, I'm the God that heals you? You know, I have, I have good promise for you. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind. So that pillar of fire that was before them now is behind them, and it's a what? It's a cloud. And when that cloud's behind them, it's between them and Pharaoh. So it came, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light to the other, so that the one did not come near the other. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. And how long did it take to, to dry up the land? All night. Now, I knew that as soon as he did that, it was dry and they went across, right? No, it says it took all night. And back there, you remember, he told them, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waves were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. I like to know how tall that was. You know, I read a piece that said that certain places, that Red Sea was 530 feet deep. That's almost a third of a mile. Think about that. I don't know how deep it was where they went across not sure how wide it was, but I know it was wide enough that there could be how many chariots? At least 600. And all the other chariots he had, and all the horses, and all of his army were where? In the midst of it. When God's people got across, the waves came back, and what happened to them? And if I'd have been smart enough when I was talking to my pastor, and thankfully I wasn't because I probably wouldn't have done it in the right attitude, I could have told him that's a greater miracle than I thought it was. When you got knee-deep or ankle-deep water and you can drown that many people, that's quite a miracle. So God, God has his way. And what was the purpose of all this? Verse 18, that the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. That's the third time he's mentioned that to us. And the angel of the Lord who went before the camp moved and went behind, okay? And so, you know, we could go on. It's just, it's amazing to me as I read that story that at the time that we think nothing is happening in our life, we're praying, 
and nothing's happening. God's working behind the scene and causing something to happen that we have no idea is connected to what's going to happen later in our life. So, <laughs> there's a verse that says, God's ways are not our ways. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can too. Um, if I had another half hour, <laughs> I'd like to tell you about something else. Every time I've read through this, I find verse after verse that talks about resting on the seventh day. And when you look at what they did, <laughs> what the Israelites did, and how they did absolutely nothing, and it was a holy day to the Lord. And our Sabbath day, I don't know how you handle yours, but God's been after my tail, I'll tell you. That's another time. That's all Stan. Let's just pray a moment. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to see. Help us to know. Help us to, to have an understanding that you're working on our behalf when we see it as not being on our behalf. We see the army, Lord. We see the chariots. We see all the armor. And it's coming. It's right behind us. And yet, Lord, your presence goes between it and us, and you keep us. You are a great God. You said, I am the Lord, and truly, Lord, we want you to be the Lord of our lives. We, we want you to be that person who we, Father, have full trust in. God, help us. Help us to, to believe your word, to believe your promises, and not look at circumstances and situation and say, that's, that's the state. That's the state of the community. That's the state of the area. That's the state of my influence. Because, Father, we know that as we pray to you, you hear us and you answer we know you're working things behind the scene. We give you thanks and we give you praise for that. Lord, this night we just open ourselves to you, Lord. You know you, your word's alive. It speaks to us. It teaches us. And Father, I'm trusting that your word has spoke to our hearts this night. And each of us know exactly what you have said to us and what we need to do. So, Father, I, wanna, I just want to take this time to just be quiet before you and trust the salvation that you're bringing our way. Regardless of how big the mountain is, regardless of how deep the valley is, Lord God, help us, help us not to look at the wave, Lord God, but to keep our eyes on, the, on our Savior, that we, we not sink, Lord, in the midst of of our difficult times. We give you thanks and praise. Lord, we just, we, we, want, we want to praise you and honor you tonight. So as the booth would uh, maybe have a song ready, let's just open up the altars a little bit and then uh, we'll have a closing prayer. Thank you, Father.